Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Yes, the United States is moving ships, warships into the Persian Gulf. And yes, there is a U.S. soldier that has been captured by the North Koreans. And yes, you cannot afford to buy, well, name the thing. All these things are happening at the same time. And yet the media wants you to believe that the biggest story in the world is not that Joe Biden may have assisted Hunter Biden in getting bribes and getting access in pay for play. With all due respect to all the progressives out there who say this isn't a story, to all the media folks who say this isn't worth covering not even for 60 seconds on your airwaves, allow me to say from the vast majority of America to you, You're out of your heads. This is the story. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? 833-GOT-TONY. That's the number. 833-468-8669. There is no other story. And if you caught me on Fox News over the weekend, you heard me talking about this. I, I, I hope I get to it later. Of course, you can follow me on Rumble uh, and TonyKatz.com, and you can see uh, the appearance there. It's not... You know, I do a a fair amount of TV, not a ton, more than some, not as much as others. I'm usually not the red meat guy. I can do it, but I'm much more interested in the Happy Warrior vibe. It's, It's much more my style. It's rare that I beat the living snot out of somebody. Holy crap. Beat the living snot. I'll share some of it later. I promise. That's not the story. The story is this from Miranda Devine over at New York Post. Hunter Biden put then-Vice President Dad Joe on the phone with business associates at least two dozen times. Now, this is the testimony that's going to come from Devin Archer. Who is Devin Archer? Well, this is a story. Devin Archer was a business partner of, was he a business partner or was he the best friend of Hunter Biden? Let's call him the best friend, just to make sure we're perfectly clear here. Friend of Hunter Biden. The guy, Devin Archer, is going to face possibly jail because he was involved in a $60 million bond fraud. I'm not saying no to any of this. I, I start with setting up who he is and his issues. He is scheduled to testify to the House Oversight Committee that he witnessed, meetings that he witnessed, that he saw with his own eyes, where he saw Joe Biden either in person or via speakerphone. And Hunter would call his father and introduce him to foreign business partners or prospective investors. Now, if Joe Biden was at one of those meetings, it puts an end to the claim, the lie he's been telling from the beginning that he never spoke to his son about his overseas business dealings. That, of course, is a lie, and every rational person in America knows that he spoke with his father about these business dealings, about some business dealings. Everybody knows that that's what happened. But Joe Biden's been lying about this, and the White House has been lying about this. Just like that text message 
I'm sitting here with my father. Remember that one? It was on WhatsApp and it got released. I'm sitting here with my father. You haven't responded. You will regret ever thinking you could test me on this. I can hold a grudge better than anyone. I'm waiting for your response. I'm sitting here with my father right now. That's the summation, uh, the paraphrase of the text. So who sent, where, who was that text sent to? And was Joe Biden indeed sitting there? I'm assuming the Secret Service could tell us exactly where uh, the then vice president, now president was at any moment of the day. This is why when they say they can't tell us who was in Delaware, well, that's a big bunch of garbage. You can tell us, you won't tell us, and that's why we don't trust you. But if you have just one meeting that you can corroborate where Joe Biden was there and farm business was discussed, which you can do. If you can corroborate that, I'm not saying it's the most far-fetched thing. I think it's a possible thing. Well, then you can say that Joe Biden is a liar and now you get to ask, well, what did you discuss in the meeting? And how many other meetings were there? Why would I believe you when you tell me none? You already told me you never did it, but of course you did it. So why would I believe you? It's bad news. So people will, of course, say you can't listen to this guy. This guy's looking for some kind of sweetheart deal because he's involved in this $60 million bond fraud thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's very, very possible. Unless, of course, Joe Biden sat in on a meeting with Hunter Biden or called in to a meeting that Hunter Biden was having with potential foreign investors. And if that's the case, the first part doesn't matter. This is the biggest story in America, and I'm not letting go of it. What's the situation in Ukraine and the Persian Gulf? Major Mike Lyons is up next. I'm Tony Katz. I'm not coming out and saying that Joe Biden is leading us to war. I mean, there are people who will argue, and I think to some level of of efficacy, that Biden's moves and maneuvers certainly make the U.S. being involved in conflicts more possible. But these latest two maneuvers, we're moving warships to the Gulf, and what happened with this U.S. soldier, you can argue abducted by the North Koreans, but he was a disturbed guy who ran over the DMZ. He ran towards North Korea. Of course he got abducted. Well, what does this mean for the United States? Is all of this one step closer to some level of warfare? What exactly are we dealing with Tony Katz? Tony Katz today. Great to be here. Thank you for being here. That's Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army West Point uh, guy. You can follow him on Twitter, M A J Mike Lyons, L Y O N S, M A J Mike Lyons. On the Twitter box, you do a lot of um, analysis work. You've done it for us, you've done it for CBS radio, you do it uh, on the cable nets. And I know that we've got the counteroffensive going on in Ukraine. But these other two stories right now just are almost kind of like this pylon of what it is that we're seeing. And I want to start with what's going on in North Korea, because it's certainly more sensational, even though I think what's happening in the Persian Gulf is much more dangerous. Who is this soldier? How in the world was he able to get close enough to the DMZ? Was he stationed there that he runs across? And where does this put the U.S. military and the White House right now? Tony, great to be back with you. Yeah, Private Tyler King was somebody that should have been chaptered out of the Army a long time ago. But because of recruiting requirements right now, not getting enough people in, 
it looks like he was given multiple second, third, fourth chances. He was not a good soldier, had uh, a record and was going to be prosecuted, in fact. And they were trying to send him back to the United States for that. Um, he decides to get in some kind of tour group and that some to- sort tour group gets close enough to the DMZ and he decides that that were uh, what he was going to do. Uh, literally crossed over, completely volunteered by himself. And now we're in this pickle about how do we get him back? I want to take just a, a moment to make sure that's understood. He wasn't serving. He was part of a tour group. But as I have read the stories, he had also been held for observation. He was told to leave South Korea, I believe it was. And he didn't. How is it possible that someone's told to leave the country or 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 step away and somehow two guys, two MPs can't put you on a plane? Well, it wouldn't be MPs. It would be his uh, NCOs that work with him. And it, it's likely he falls through the cracks. And that does happen sometime in the military, unfortunately. Uh, I can tell you from personal experience, we had individuals like this that we knew we had to treat with kid, kid gloves to make sure that when it was time for them to go, that they actually you know, had to be driven to the airport, put on a plane. Um, and likely there, there was a failure in the chain of command. Maybe they'll do an investigation and that'll come out. But this is someone that should have been watched closely. Not assuming he would ever, you know, you don't make the assumption that somebody would do something like this. But, you know, given the fact that he was going back for punishment, uh, likely should have had a lot more supervision. He was on a tour. Yeah. I mean, it's it's very strange to think about what kind of tour is this? Who else was on this tour? And do you know what happens when they realize somebody just ran over to North Korea? Yeah, civilian tour that's run there within that security zone. Um, you know, we saw that's the same kind of location where Donald Trump meant, uh, you know, met Kim Jong-un there. And, and um, it's, it's, you know, it's commercialism on one side and uh, it gets close enough where it's a very thin border on some level. The, the guards there on, on both sides, you know, they've gotten to know each other. It's not, you know, I would say because of Trump, there's less hostility that exists at that border right now. And that's probably why uh, he thought he could do this. He goes over. He's now the capt. He's now captive mm-hmm. of North Korea. Uh, Kim Jong Un uh, may be all the weird, dopey things, but certainly not not a fool. Mm-hmm. What leverage is this for Kim Jong Un? Is this nothing more than a food leverage for his people, or is this a far more dangerous moment than any of us realize? I, you know, we have to see what happens. I know we're talking to them right now. That that report just came out this morning that, uh, that we're talking to try to figure out to get him back. Um, I'm not sure what leverage he provides. He's not a stellar soldier. We we needed to get him back. Let's let's put that out there. I mean, any American held, you know, against their will on a foreign country has, you know, we need to do whatever that we can. So I, I don't want to, you know, dismiss that at all. Um, the guy needs help, obviously, and and so I, let's. You know, maybe there's some humanitarian side that's going to take place on the North Koreans and realize that this guy's really no leverage. He's no nothing. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Yeah, let's, let's, let's not bank our money on, on that one right there. This is Kim right. Jong-un. This is whatever right. I can get, I can get, and I will extract. And and I think America sees it differently, sir, because yeah. this guy ran across. He wasn't taken. He wasn't abducted. Right. Supposedly right. laughing as he ran, yeah. but we can argue if he was indeed mentally disturbed, he might not realize exactly the jeopardy he put himself in. Right. Is that the take of the U.S. military, of the, of the government? Yeah, embarrassingly so. And again, um, it's just harder to chapter out people from the military these days because there's so much pressure to keep 
you know, unit and strengths at high levels. And you kind of tolerate this. Uh, the guy should have not been any, he shouldn't be deployed. He should be back in the United States uh, in a unit there potentially. Uh, but be, he's clearly fit to not serve. You know, that, that's the thing. Not everybody is fit to serve. And uh, he clearly proved that out. He was fit to unfit to be served to serve. And now, you know, we're dealing with the situation. Let's talk about what we're dealing with in the Gulf. Uh, this is the times of Israel right here. U S dispatches more warships, jets to Persian Gulf to protect shipping lanes. Uh, also 2,500 Marines are going. Um, this is an escalation and this has to do with Iranian piracy, correct? Yeah, it does. Um, we're sending a destroyer there. Um, and an amphib, and that's where the Marines are coming from as well. And it's all about uh, escorting uh, ships that, that are not necessarily American flag, but other countries that the Iranians have decided that they're going to try to seize and take over. So uh, it's deterrence. I have no problem with it. They're in international waters. This is what the Navy does. It projects power. Um, and it, it, it's, not, it's not an aircraft carrier, but the F, uh, you know, F-18s will be you know, on station. Um, and it's to keep the, it's to keep commerce flowing within that region. Uh, it is, I believe it's pronounced uh, Bataan. It might be pronounced Bataan. And, and that is uh, the, this group that has, as you talked about, the amphib, the amphibious yeah. uh, um, type of uh, assault weapons or assault ship uh, that, that's there. The only way to stop the Iranians from trying to steal oil tankers or, or anything else is to shoot them dead in the water. You argue you might say that it's, of course, a projection of strength. And this is one of the reasons why you need a strong Navy, as you and I mm -hmm. have discussed. We don't have nearly as many ships as we actually need to be able to to do that, to project the strength that the United States needs to project by any other measure. It's a huge Navy by our measure. It's not a huge Navy. Right. But if the purpose isn't to stop the Iranians by the utilization of force, what makes us think that the projection of force is enough? Well, I think it's proven to be. Um, you know, we've seen the coal, for example, attack 22 years ago from uh, Al Qaeda. And we know that the, when we send just a destroyer on, onto itself, that, uh, you know, it increases their level of awareness. I, I've talked to captains of those kinds of ships. And that's become more and more that mission. We peel off a destroyer whose primary mission is to defend the carrier, that carrier that's in uh, the Gulf of Oman and other places that's that's in the neighborhood, so to speak. Um, but but we're trying to you know use these assets in order to protect, uh, you know, what, what you know, to project power in there. I, I think that the, the this is what we have to do, at least to start. Um, there's vulnerability that exists because we send a destroyer. That's a big ship. It's a big target if the Iranians decide to do something. I, I, but but we're seeing more and more that uh, they're not dumb enough to, to attack a U.S. naval warship, I think, in that, that part of the world. Um, if you believe that Biden is not strong, but Biden is weak, sir, talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army, then you may do other things. For example, Vladimir Putin going into Ukraine. We'll get to the counteroffensive in, this, in, a, in a second. Mm-hmm. Is the projection on the world stage, the political one as seen in the United States from the right, that Biden got us into this because of Biden's weakness? Or is the projection on the world stage, the one from the political left in the United States, that Biden has rallied NATO together and therefore he's stronger than ever and other nations now know it? Well, I think this particular situation in the Persian Gulf, this is the Pentagon going to the White House saying, look, we got to do something here. I, I'm not sure... 
the president projects power, especially when he goes to a NATO summit and can't seem to stick with the program and go out to dinner with everybody. I, you know, it, it, the countries rely on the United States and rely on kind of other other factors, let's say, that's going on. I, you know, I, maybe it's somewhere in the middle of what you just talked about. You know, Joe Biden has not done this. You know, he's not done any kind of diplomacy uh, in order to keep NATO countries together. NATO countries have recognized in Europe in particular that Russia is a threat and is a threat to Ukraine and the threat to their security. So that's what's really prompted them to doing that. The United States still fits foots the bill for most of the things going on in Ukraine anyway. Uh, So I I wouldn't say it's Biden's personality. We could argue whether or not if Trump was president or somebody else was president, Russia wouldn't have gone. Uh, That remains to be seen. I also don't think Donald Trump could stop the war in 24 hours either, uh, given what's going on right now as well. Talk to me about the the Ukraine uh, offensive. Of course, we've broken this down in numerous ways uh, that when we talk about what happened uh, with uh, the the, um, private military company there, Wagner, uh, Mm -hmm. that it wasn't a coup as much as as it was uh, an opportunity to an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Uh, The counteroffensive has the ability to push the Russians out or does this still end with Ukraine giving up the Donbass? No, it does. They don't have that ability right now. Six weeks into the counteroffensive, they've made just minor gains. Um, and that's, I think, for three primary reasons. The first one is they've not been able to synchronize a combat arms fight. Uh, and that, that just has to do with um, the fact that they just have never done it before. It's difficult to do that on the fly. That's maneuver infantry, artillery, tanks. They seem to be attacking, not in a synchronized way, not you know in different ways to pick apart the Russian defenses, but in a linear way, they go after first artillery, then they come in with maneuver, and it's just it's just not working out. That's the, the second reason is the mines and the obstacles that Russia has laid are just more significant than they than they had imagined, and they've learned that they've stacked things like the tanks and the minefields that are in there. That but so the, those obstacles are much more significant that they don't have the equipment to clear. And then the last thing, it really comes down to air superiority. You know, remember the movie Patton, right? In the last day when finally in Bastogne, the eyes, the, the skies cleared and they were able to use the air superiority and that broke the back of the Germans there in Bastogne. There's no, there's no function that, the, that, that Ukraine has that can break the back without any kind of air assets. And F-16 showing up next year is not going to cut it either. They're not getting the higher end F-16s. It has a lot of capability. The Russian helicopters are destroying Ukraine um, maneuver elements in place right now as they try to uh, as they try to move on the offense. It's just a grinding war of attrition that's taking place. Again, I ask the question: Does this end without Ukraine giving up the Donbas region? I think it ends where it began, uh, similar to what we saw in Israel and places like that when when countries decide to violate borders. I, I think that there's going to be a more formal border that's going to be made within the Donbass, potentially Crimea, um, because that Russia has to have that. Uh, that's going to be a tough pill for the Ukraine military to swallow. And given the fact that they're, if they've all if they've sacrificed so far, um, but they just don't have the capability to, to extract them and vanquish them out of those regions that they have. They've taken literally very little space back. There was a report about 50% of what happened initially, but that they already had those, some of those regions beforehand. So that, that number is just not, not really the right number. Um, so yeah, I, I do think Tony, that the border is going to get redrawn. That's going to create that, that creates a problem for NATO because Russia will use that as a way and make that border a challenge, which will keep Ukraine out of NATO because you can't have a NATO country with a border that has a, a border conflict. 
We will get more into the NATO conversation, I'm sure, in the weeks ahead. Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army, MAJ Mike Lyons, on Twitter. You can catch him there, L-Y-O-N-S. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Find everything that's going on over at TonyCats.com. This is Tony Katz Today. trying to figure out how to engage a broadcast day as Public Square went public at the opening bell just the other day. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, good to be with you. What is Public Square? How is it taken so much of the political right by storm? What does going public even mean? And dear Lord, how do you build a business? In today's world, when you get canceled for anything, Michael Seifert joins us right now. He is the CEO of Public Square. You can find it online at publicsq.com on Twitter, official PSQ as well. Uh, must have been a hell of a day, man. Go from an idea to going public. It's got to feel good. It felt great, and it actually felt better than I thought it would, largely because I didn't realize how many people in that room would have been with us. I mean, I was talking to the vice chair of the floor right after we rang the bell, and he said, I just want you to know 99.9% of this room right here is with you. They're just afraid to say it. But today, they said it out loud. And to hear them join in with us with those USA chants was a moment I'll never forget. You go back to the earliest days of the Tea Party, and it was Rick Santelli on CNBC engaging that conversation regarding mortgages, and you're hearing traders yell at him as he's on air, and you realize, man, there, there are more of us than there are of them. But is that, the, is that the foundational belief of Public Square? Was this about, was this about anger? This, was this about trying to create something counterculture? What is Public Square, and why set it up? Well, I will tell you that this was not born in anger. In fact, uh, there was only one person that was angry in that room that day, and it was Jim Cramer. Uh, and the, the rest of the room was electric and excited and hopeful. I haven't seen more hopeful and positive people in a long time because people are finally feeling like, gosh, we're not just the silent majority anymore. We're not just these people that are afraid of cancellation to the point where we back off. We actually have a voice. And uh, it's really nice that Public Square, we've created the nation's largest marketplace of businesses that want to cater to those voices. The voices of the millions of patriotic Americans that love their country, love the Constitution and the values that it protects. Uh, That is the opportunity that we have as a business community on Public Square. And uh, that was born out of a desire for a better future to not just boycott, but to actually be able to move our money elsewhere. So. When the Bud Lights of the world do what they do and the targets of the world follow suit, we choose fundamentally a different path. You're not going to get lectured about gender when you're trying to buy a cup of coffee on our platform. You're not going to get told how the patriarchy is awful and the country's evil and we're on stolen land when you're shopping from our platform. That's not going to happen. Instead, you are going to feel the welcoming embrace 
of well over 55,000 business vendors that are excited about the country. They love the Constitution, and they can't wait to earn your business. That has been the most rewarding, rewarding journey of a lifetime, and we're only a year into it from our national launch. So big things to come. Talking to Michael Seifert, he is the CEO of Public Square, publicsq.com. When you started coming up with the idea for the marketplace, what, what, what was the moment where you said, hey, this is something we can do, and how did you get people to buy in? So I had been witnessing for a decade as companies have taken a turn toward kind of multinational globalist ideas uh, that are really out of line with the, the vast majority of Americans. We're, we're not wanting the, the marketplace to become hyper-progressive and political. Uh, and so I, I figured, gosh, I'm, I can't be alone. There's got to be a lot of other people like me. And so I thought, what if we created a digital community where people like me could gather and we could actually put our dollars where our values are and that, that would in turn actually move the needle of culture because the power would shift back to the hands of we the people when the right types of businesses prospered. One other big inspiring point was that in the early days, the government came around and they said that some businesses were essential and other days were non other businesses were non-essential. That was during the COVID season. And we fundamentally disagree. We believe that small businesses are essential. Uh, they often would call them non-essential because they disagreed with the regime. Uh, but we actually want to give voice to those people. So on the business side and the consumer side, we had this idea for a community where transactions would be rooted in trust. And then the way that this has grown, we didn't have anybody famous backing this. We didn't have any massive influencers in the early days behind us. The way this has grown is through average ordinary people like myself, my wife, community members, a grassroots network of well over 500 ambassadors that are knocking on businesses' doors, inviting them to the platform. This has truly been an organic grassroots movement. And I wouldn't have had it any other way. So it's, uh, it's been truly by the people and for the people, and uh, it will continue to be that way off into the future. Now, uh, full disclosure, I have no financial relationship with Public Square whatsoever, but I will tell you that about two weeks ago, I get a text from my father who, at 85, in the credit card processing and, and consumer financing industry, still working because he doesn't golf, and the text was, how do I get on Public Square? So if my 85-year-old father and my 76-year-old mother are fully aware of what's going on, clearly is something is going on talk to me about how the process works what will people see on the app or on the site and if you're able to pay for promotion right to have your business higher up how do smaller businesses get seen yeah great question well i'd say that uh the first piece is that yes businesses can pay for additional exposure with advertising uh, but, you know, this isn't like Amazon, where the only way you're getting seen as a small business is if you give Amazon a 35% take rate. You know, it doesn't work that way. Um, and on top of that, you know, because we have a local feel to this experience, you know, consumers have the ability to find these local businesses and communities around the country where, you know, the competition pool is limited. Uh, they're not having to compete with millions of other businesses uh, on kind of one product vertical. And that's helped. That's helped all the right types of businesses make sure that they're being seen and given everyone a fair shot to succeed on the platform. Uh, that's, that's been really special. And so we're, we're hearing stories every day of small businesses that are seeing their profits escalate. They're seeing their sales double or triple. And, uh, you know, 95% plus of the businesses on the platform are small businesses. 
technically. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's now the largest compilation of these types of small businesses in the world. And that's pretty cool because it's become this new chamber of commerce. So for a business that's joining, you know, there's, there's options. You can be a free business that just signs up, head to publicsq.com, and you can kind of let the profile sit and see how it goes. You can also engage with us. You can offer discounts to consumers. That gives extra incentive for consumers to go the extra mile to find you. We have well over a million consumer members on the platform, and they're excited about any extra incentive to spend money in alignment with their values. So I, we like to tell people, try it out and uh, see what you think. And if you like what it's doing to your business, engage with us further, and uh, we'd love to build a deeper relationship with you. So pretty cool. Talking to Michael Seifert. He is the CEO of Public Square. PublicSQ.com is where you go. Now let's talk about uh, the pushback. We've seen business after business, usually in a social media uh, way, before Elon Musk bought Twitter, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to do the other. And then the server, people who run the server farms kicked them off, and the people who run the app stores kicked them off, and this, that, and the other. You're still here. What was the difference? How were you able to maneuver that? You know, I'd say two parts. One is that we aren't a social media platform, so we don't have it quite as tough as some of the other folks that have been canceled in the past, like Parler or Gab or any of these other entities. We we are, uh, you know, not a place where speech happens, and therefore there's a little less of that, um, you know, cancellation risk or, you know, companies trying to say that there's a gray area so they have the right to come in and subjectively cancel people. Like, there, that doesn't really happen here. Um, and, and, you know, obviously that gives us a bit of an advantage, but the bigger piece too, is that we've really strategically, uh, paired ourselves with vendors, um, as much as we possibly can across the board that in many cases have literally signed legal documentation saying they will not cancel us. (laughs) Um, you know, we, I remember in the early days, we, we started asking certain vendors, Hey, if we get bad publicity for our conservative views, will you yank us? Like, will you pull away your services? And in more than one or two times, we actually had vendors say, yes, they would. And so we said, all right, well, thanks for your transparency. We're probably not going to go with you. Um, And then in other cases, they say, you know what? Absolutely not. We would not cancel you. And we're even willing to put that in writing. So if you have a negative reputation uh, experience, that's not grounds for us to cancel you off the platform. So, um, you know, we try to do that as much as we possibly can throughout this experience. And obviously, we still use MacBooks. And I'm calling on an iPhone right now. You know, it's it's, it's not quite possible yet to move every single purchase away from companies where there's a, a risk that they don't like you. But what I will tell you is that we are trying to lead the way in creating a marketplace that has a very positive compounding effect where the right types of businesses won't cancel you. So last thing I'll say is that in the early days, we were banking with Chase and Chase called us and said, hey, we're a little concerned about your political views. And we said, excuse me, you're not allowed to ask us that. You're a bank. So we left Chase immediately and uh, went with a bank that we found on our own app. They had just joined, and we said, you know what, we're going to bank with you guys. And uh, it's been an incredible experience. So we try to do that as much as we can, and, uh, man, it's working. It's helping me sleep easier at night. In in the same vein, um, the companies that are coming on to Public Square, is there a litmus test for them, or are you simply saying, is it a legal product, and if so, welcome? There is a litmus test. Uh, for for consumers that are joining, it's come one, come all. If you're a business that's joining, there is definitely a litmus test. We ask that you agree to respect our five company core values, which you can find at publicsq.com. Essentially, we love life, 
liberty, the pursuit of happiness for all people. We believe in the Constitution and protecting the patriotic traditional values our company was or, and our country were founded upon. And uh, we ask businesses to respect these as well and to not spend time, money, or resource antagonistically against these values. So these businesses don't have to be political. They don't have to donate to right-wing causes. They don't have to do any of that. It's just they cannot act in a way that uh, operates against these values because then we're not able to maintain a trust-based relationship with our consumers because we're pushing them to the wrong types of businesses still. Uh, Then they're vetted by our team. We've got a team of about 10 vetting individuals that are you know, making sure that these businesses are high in quality. They are who they say they are. They're not a troll. They're not uh, saying anything online publicly that would lead us to believe that they're uh, not operating in, with, in alignment with these values. And then once they're submitted live to the platform after that vetting process, we also check in on them every few months. So we make sure that, you know, there's a real relationship with these business owners because right now in society, you know, a lot of businesses are facing turnover, change of ownership, et cetera. We want to make sure that uh, we've got a consistent relationship with these folks so that we can continue backing them to our hungry and excited group of consumers. His name is Michael Seifert, and he's done this before. Well done. Well played. Uh, Official PSQ on Twitter, Public Square is the site, publicsq.com. As an aside, are there any business categories that you would love to see more of? on the 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 site i i did what i do at the first first i looked at competition for my father uh then i looked at 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 watches and of course agard was was there truewood is on there they make some really interesting things uh uh the whole wood style craft uh what is the business type you'd love to see more of you know i we're really uh we're really continuing to invite more and more lifestyle brands to the platform so household goods um uh, you know, more daily necessities, toiletries. Uh, those may seem like kind of silly and random, but the reality is they can truly move the needle to help people shift every one of their daily purchases over to a brand that aligns with their values. So it's the little stuff that you don't even think of. It's the toothpaste and the toothbrush. And it's, uh, you know, because unfortunately, Crest and a lot of these companies have become politically weaponized. I mean, it's just wild to consider, but that's what's happening. Uh, you know, we also like to focus a lot in the world of financial services. We want to make sure that people are able to protect their financial standing. And we have some incredible online banks, but always looking for more local banks as well. So, you know, it's really on the on the types of industries that we accept. It's really come one, come all. You know, as long as you're a family-friendly business, we'd love to have you on the platform. But those are some of the specifics that we're intentionally going after here in the next season. Michael Seifert, it is Public Square, publicsq.com. I appreciate you taking the time uh, to be with us. All the best. I'll get my father signed up very soon. I appreciate you. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. The Dow is up 189. The NASDAQ is up 11. Spotify going to increase prices for its premium subscription plans. Well, there goes my opportunity to get everybody Christmas gifts. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. It's good to be here. The price of its premium subscription over at Spotify is going to go up two bucks, which is a 20% increase for some plans. It's going to help the company, and I'm quoting... Continue to deliver value, continue to deliver value to fans and artists. 
Translation, I need to give the artists another two bucks. That's all there is to it. Uh, It's got to be a rough business. It's got to be a rough business. The the amount that you're paying to these artists, that that pressure continues to grow. It's got to be a thing. Uh, Spotify's premium individual offering now uh, will be eleven ninety nine a month, and its premium duo plan will be fifteen, not thirteen. But nothing beats Barbie, baby. Barbie grossing one hundred and fifty five million dollars in the U.S. and Canada between Friday and Sunday. Oppenheimer brought in eighty one million dollars. There's there's the one-two punch there. They've been calling it Barbenheimer because people are actually seeing both films. Well, more because younger kids, of course, are going to see Barbie. That's how big... It is the biggest weekend for films that don't contain the words Star Wars, Jurassic Park, or Marvel. That's how big this weekend has been for movie theaters. I will tell you, I expected expected movie theaters to fall apart because COVID taught people they can get the big screen and the surround and everything else they don't need to go to a movie theater turns out people still want experience I must say I find that to be a very warming thought that people still want experiences as a matter of fact All they want are experiences. Plenty of people are absolutely obsessed with things. That's not going to change. But experiences is what matters. Being able to connect, being able to have the theater experience, being able to be around other people, to being able to to say, I was there. And then for the Barbie thing, everyone's dressing up in pink and going, the movie might not be good. That part doesn't bother me. Is it, you know, woke? Well, that part might bother me. But experience matters. Big lesson for anybody making movies. I'm Tony Katz.